If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. I'm liking this more and more. Are you? I really am. Yeah. Uh, y'all didn't seem to. When he first, like, I was looking at your faces and it was like, oh, yeah. It it's was... because you were looking at our faces. <laughs> yeah. We were like having, what is my face showing? For some reason, I was looking, when I was looking at it, I was seeing something super sweet. So mm. when I tasted it, it wasn't what I expected oh. it. Mm. So it took me a second to I adjust. I was wondering because I thought, oh, they really don't like this. I don't know if it's because the blueberries maybe that made me think that. Because it's a margarita. Like I knew there was tequila in it. So I should have been expecting it. You should have known it. it would taste like tequila. I should have known it would <laughs> taste like tequila. Mm. No, it it's, is it's Mine's a little sticky. <sighs> Hi. Hi, Marleya. <laughs> Hi, Patrice. Hi, Courtney. Hi, y'all. Hey. Laissez les bon temps rouler. You can say it again. <laughs> say it, again. <laughs> say it for all of us. We can't. Because <laughs> we're like, <laughs> let, let, let the good times roll. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. not like I haven't, you know, looked at it and said, okay, that's cool. I'll never remember that. <laughs> I took time many, many years ago. I was obsessed with New Orleans. When I was younger, like middle school, I wanted to get to New Orleans. Because you know me. I want to be where the people are. The action is. Did you want to see them dancing? I wanted to see them dancing. <laughs> Walking around on there. What's that word again? Feet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I saw that phrase, that French phrase, and I, I know how to even spell it. Like, I can write it out. I can write it. Like, I just became obsessed with anything French, Creole. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I did research on it in college. Wow. The Creole. Yeah. That's cool. the French Creole language. I can't. I can't. I, I can like. I, don't I know. love New Orleans. I and I know Mobile French. is original and I love Mobile too. Um, you know, but it's more family friendly. I'm going for the. <laughs> that's that's not what we're there for. <laughs> I was like, that's great and all. <laughs> love it. I know it's the first. Great. No, my, my family's there now. So Candace is there. Vivian. Oh, in Mobile? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I saw some pictures this morning. We've Aww. taken all the kids to Mardi Gras. Okay, well, if I was going to yeah. take my kids, I'd much rather yeah, take them to, to Mobile. Mobile. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or, you know, to the ice cream shop and then back home. There's <laughs> 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 that, too. <laughs> yeah, that'll be just as heavy. <laughs> oh, it's 101. We've passed... Ah, 100 we've passed it now yeah, now it's all downhill from here oh, I, we, got, we got nothing else to look forward to shush it <laughs> it's like when you turn 21 oh yeah it's like the next thing that happens is I can legally rent a car and mm-hmm. then nothing right. nothing <laughs> and then nothing it was all downhill after that <laughs> well well um, you know it's taken me forever I haven't even got 100 up yet I'm oh, sorry, I finished y'all. the show page this morning, finally. I know. <laughs> it's just me two weeks or whatever, however long that's been. <laughs> but uh, I was <clears throat> listening to us, and I was like, oh, y'all, I love our podcast. Oh, I love <laughs> I was, it, too. It's always when I like go for a long period of time where I can't not get to it. Uh, 
and then I hear us I'm I like remember why we're doing this yeah and it's so much fun I have that too and I appreciate y'all so much love you girls I love y'all too and you people out there in the big wide world yeah who <laughs> <laughs> listen to us right and, and are still love fest every time every time in our sometimes tipsy fest. Our sometimes tipsy fest. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what's funny is because the only sound that I do is the after talk. <laughs> so I like, <laughs> I listen to it and I remember how fun it is to <laughs> And I'm like, wow. <laughs> this went too far. <laughs> if you would like to engage in that with us at any point. Join our Patreon. <laughs> I think everybody's after talk. Still waiting for you to continue your barefoot, barefoot erotica. Oh, my bigfoot erotica. Oh, thinking about. Bigfoot. You know, I could probably barefoot. start an entirely separate. <laughs> That's a totally different. We should do a spinoff. Marlea reads cryptid erotica. I would be one hundred percent. I love reading things out loud. <laughs> I'm on board. Awesome. Y'all look look for that. Look for that. Coming soon. Coming, soon. coming in the fall of 2022. <laughs> Can't even talk. I don't know how tonight's going to go, y'all. That's what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just like, my words. <laughs> and this isn't helping this drink. And up. yeah, it's just been like a long freaking weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, we bought the ginormous thing. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So, yes. And I was thinking about it because, okay, y'all. So I bought like this obscenely large television. It's in a size that televisions didn't used to ever even reach. Yes. It's obscenely large. Like, I didn't think we were going to get it in Marley's van. I know. It's a a fucking minivan. And it's a minivan. Yeah. I thought we were going to have to like rent a U-Haul. I know. We had, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then I saw the guy come out with a box and I was like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But this is really, honestly, the first, like, pure thing that I have ever bought for just pure, like, indulgence mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> like, every time I buy anything expensive, I always have, like, a side plan, a side hustle. Like, it's always mm-hmm. part of something with my work, um, a way to, like, I can turn around and make money. Like, I always have, like, a backup plan. And this is the first time that I've ever spent my birthday money on something that is just pure indulgent and i felt that like when i bought it and i brought it home and how excited you couldn't (laughs) tell like chad's excitement (laughs) but when you left and like we pulled it out of the box and you know started like it took all day did you giggle I didn't giggle, but Chad my husband <laughs> and uh, Max, for sure, my son, definitely like, giggled. Especially when I started marking up like how large it was going to be on the wall. They were just in disbelief because <laughs> we've never done this before, like ever. Um, you know, that's it's good that you did. So now you should do that more often. Because when know. it's your birthday money, you should do something. I that's know. Just something Usually you my want. birthday money always gets absorbed into bills and to food. Oh, and dude, and I feel stuff. that though. Mm-hmm. I know. That always happens. Every to me too. single it's like, time. Oh, this will yeah. pay off a fraction of my credit card. Right. The tiniest, tiniest uh, fraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I was so excited about that. Yay. And everybody else in the family was too. And and the thing about it is like we game as a family. And so the fact that this ginormous thing on our wall is very in your face 
I can finally see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> this television wasn't big enough. It's a pretty big TV. So that was the one that, that was upstairs. Was the upstairs TV came down to the pod basement with yes. us yeah. watching uh, Mardi Gras. Coverage. Yeah, we've got Mardi Gras on in the background, which right. is people like there's a bunch of just like drunk white people at Mardi Gras. <laughs> I've never been. That's basically this yeah. is it. They're holding their hands up. That dude's trashed. Yeah. He ain't got no and shirt. Really? On. That's not that many people. No, it's no not. that's 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 like easy like early daytime right there's well, a guy dressed as donald trump oh he looks but scary. not orange enough no um <laughs> there's a douchebag on a, <laughs> on a golf, golf cart, cart. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean oh yeah yeah i think this was last year so still covid uh, it was not okay. as yeah so it's not current okay <clears throat> Yeah, so yeah, that'll be, but we're going to do it next year. So Woo. it's going to be. It's gonna I've already be. warned everybody and probably need to start saving my money now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm thinking too. I was like, because this is, this is the power of saying it. And now we've said it on the internet we radio have. as well. So everybody can hold to, us to yeah, it. Yeah, you yep. better hold us to it. That Patrice's we are birthday doing it. Slash Mardi Gras season. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And it's going to be 2023. COVID free. Insane. <laughs> we probably need to start exercising. <laughs> we need we to probably start so drinking. I know, right? We really need to build our tolerance back up. Now. All the things. We all quit drinking in for January. Drinking and now we're like, oh, we're never going to make it. Like, you know, I need to get that pain tolerance up yeah, there. We need to drink and walk. Mm-hmm. That's the walk next, that's our next while goal. We drink. <laughs> Well, we take the Ladaga Trail with a margarita. Oh my God, it's the best (laughs) hurricane. (laughs) We could start a group. It's like train for Mardi Gras, (laughs) five Ks, margarita five K. We'll be counting the ounces of alcohol that intake. (laughs) Is it a competition? Learn how to pee. Yeah, you got to hit a certain threshold before you can be considered ready for the marathon. It's like timing, yes. timing your runs. Oh my gosh. Brings us oh to our drink that's hitting me pretty fast. Yes. It's likely that we will all die when we do this trip. Oh, I was like, wait, <laughs> after this one drink? No. Chad's yeah. already like got life insurance out on me. So I know. Randy signed up for mine yesterday. <laughs> oh, good. I added additional like a couple of weeks yes. ago at university. So. Yes, uh, this drink. The Mardi Gras Rita. Yeah. Ooh. I've been thinking about it today. That's a good so. name. It is actually a lemon margarita. So it's kind of mm. like a lemon drop with mm-hmm. tequila. Mm-hmm. So love both I, of those. Um, I like it more and more the longer we have I drink a, it. a nice sugar rim with uh, I did um, lemon and lime zest in it to make it green mm. and yellow, but it didn't quite take like I wanted it to with um, agave. And I used some of the orange Patron liqueur in, in it too. Mm-hmm. And it a lot of tequila. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> but I like the sugar rim with this because it's I very do tart. Yeah, mm-hmm. the sugar rim's perfect with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, well, I used to always wipe the salt rims off of my margaritas, I and didn't. then I finally learned how I, much I liked them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, this, this needs is, the sugar. This needs tart. the sugar. It's really mm-hmm. good. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I saw our <clears throat> local uh, First Baptist Nutri. Wait, what? Nutri. The Nutra's out? Nutra. Nu- how do you say yeah, that? Yeah, Nutra. 
Nutria. Nutria. Yeah. It's it's Nutria, but you say it Nutria. Nutria. Yeah. Okay. So he yeah he's the out. The giant wrote it. The Shit. giant wrote it. I still out. have never seen it, and I'm see I'm still convinced it's not one. I really am, but I've got to like you he said so like, like you're convinced times. it is. Like, oh, yeah. You've seen it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's got the rat tail. That's how you tell. It looks yeah. like a beaver, but it's got a rat tail. Yeah. And I've taken out enough rats lately to know <laughs> the difference between a rat. Yeah, my um, with the springtime, it definitely brings the froze animal treats <laughs> a lot more. Like, like a bird, at least three lizards since I last like we last met. Already oh, this mm-hmm. early in the season bird, for lizards, three lizards, two mice, a rat. <laughs> And no chipmunks, luckily. Well, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we'll be tomorrow. Universe heard me. Oh, my God. And that's... I really don't have anything. We just all have been working. I know. We we really have. So, There's been... I yeah, mean, we apologize on. for the crazy schedule. It's just unavoidable. We appreciate you sticking it out with we us. We do. Go back and listen to some old episodes, you know? Tell us what we said, because I don't remember. I know. <laughs> Tell us what we did. No kidding. No kidding. And I was, I listened to My Favorite Murder today, their latest one. And Karen did one on, like, the, like, Big Top Fire. I listened to that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, you know, this is why you listen to one channel of, like, your favorite channel of podcast. Because it doesn't matter what they talk about. It's always interesting. I would never go out and want to listen to anything about, you know, a circus fire. I mean, I wouldn't pick that as a topic. Because usually that's how I surf for podcasts. It's by topics. It's by topics. Mm -hmm. Usually because I'm researching. But also, you know, kind of things that I'm interested in. But I realized that I need to stop doing that and pick the people that I really enjoy listening to. And then they can talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And I'll not only learn something that I wouldn't gone out and you know salt but um enjoy it just a lot more so Mm. there's my psa for the day (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) i don't know where i was going that (laughs) shut up talking and let's get to it get the business people (laughs) we got a king cake waiting for us from artisanal baked goods in aniston alabama Mm -hmm. the best king cake i can't remember who got the baby last year I don't know that we did. I mean, there's only three of us, and the cake's pretty big. Did we cut the probably baby one of my kids? One of our kids time. probably I think Coco got, it. got it. I think my kid got yeah. it, but she ain't gonna buy no king cake, so right. Isn't that the it deal? Never works. Yeah, yeah. it's supposed not to work. buy the next year. So. No, <laughs> I have to have I a talk. I, I'm usually the one buying them, so thank you. You buy them, at, yeah. Oh, well, because yes, you buy them at you. work. I'm usually, buy you're work. buying like a couple. Um, who's first this week? I think I'm first. I think you are too. The last time we talked uh, about Tallulah Bankhead. Oh, yeah. Tallulah. Darling. Darling. She had gonorrhea. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she kept getting misdiagnosed because apparently women of stature and fame cannot have gonorrhea. But they all did. But she was misdiagnosed and almost died and left the hospital at like 70 pounds. Ooh. And, and this is, I know, when she was 31. 
So, of course, I didn't slow her down. Mm-mm. You know, the, her parting words were, don't think this has taught me a lesson. Ah, <laughs> love it. And she, she's just so awesome. I, I just I just don't even. I bet she was really hard to live with, though. Oh, my gosh. I bet she was miserable. Like, nobody, really. She's one of those those people that couldn't do anything for herself. Mm-mm. So, you know, upper class, extremely privileged, had money, didn't really have to worry about anything. And when she did, she got other people to do it for Mm -hmm. her. So living the life. She went back to Broadway. She portrayed Elizabeth in the revival of Somerset Maugham. A lot of this is for theater folks. And I'm just like, I. she played, she was so many different plays and stuff that I don't even really want to go over it. They've they listed all here, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She like, played You can look it up. You yeah. can look it up if you're that interested. She played Cle- uh, Cleopatra. Okay, we know um, that one. We know that one. And the New York Evening Post, oh my god, y'all, I'm so fucked. The <laughs> New York Evening Post critics said that Tallulah Bankhead barged down the Nile last night as Ooh. Cleopatra and sank. Oh shit. And Damn. the feeling that I get is that she she plays herself. Mm. Really is really what she's good at. She doesn't have much range, but when it's like a character that fits how she is, she can like nail it. In 1936, she was actually the first choice to play Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. Oh, yeah. And she did a screen test, and she did the screen test in black and white. It was fantastic, so they were, like, all excited about it. But started they started doing photographs of her in Technicolor because, you know, that was about the time that we switched over to color, you know, Gone with the Wind and then uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz yeah. yeah. And she just did not look good in technicolor she did because she was half she had to convince people that she was 16 because of the way gone with the wind was remember she starts off at 16 and then it like follows her so she she just couldn't pull off that young age she was like 30 something mid 30s at this time that would be hard i mean uh, right and so they went with vivian lee who did a pretty good job how old was she i wonder do you know i don't know i would say in her 20s for sure yeah Mm, Definitely not late. in her 30s. But the Mentally. fact that they were trying to give this role to Tallulah in her 30s mm-hmm. at that time is pretty impressive. The fact that she worked constantly, to me, is very impressive. This she has She's done so much throughout her career. It's just jam-packed full of things. She was 26. Vivian Lee was 26. Mm, okay. So... They felt bad for not giving her the lead role like they they promised her. And so they said, well, you could play the brothel owner, Belle Watling. And she was like, no thanks, darling. (laughs) That would have been good, though. It would have been good. I like that role. Yeah. I can't remember it. I've seen seen it once. I've only seen it once. Rhett's companion, Rhett's. I think it was probably just a slap. To her not, ego, not oh yeah, part right. It's but like she, no, we can't give you this one, but you can have this thing. Right, right. After that, she was actually in the Little Foxes, which won her Variety Magazine Award for Best Actress, and that was a screenplay by another woman called Lillian Hillman, and she played an old, ruthless, fiery character. She seems to. Again, like you were saying, probably hard to live with, probably hard to be around with because she was just so 
out there all the time performing. And she butted head with the director or the playwright, sorry, there a few times. But that was more because the playwright was uh, a communist and she was definitely (laughs) anti-communist. But they ended up, after they butt heads, they made up. Uh, But still pretty impressive for a playwright to, you know, have this really strong woman play and get all these accolades for this show. She said about that role, she's like, it was the best role I ever had in the theater. So it did her good. I've never heard of that one. I have not either. This is a lot of this is is things I have never heard of before. So I'm just going to skim over all. Sorry, theater people. (laughs) Wikipedia will let you know. (laughs) And then in 1944, she was 42 years old. Alfred Hitchcock casted her as the cynical journalist Constant Porter in her most successful film, both critically and commercially, Lifeboat. And I actually watched that. I downloaded that one afternoon and watched it with my husband because he was like, what the hell are we watching? <laughs> That's the one I was going to watch, too. I've never heard of that. Well, you admit, well, when you started talking about her, I looked mm-hmm. up some of her most famous and that was that was it. List, yeah. You know, it was interesting. It was weird that it was a Hitchcock movie. I mean, it definitely felt like... It felt like a Hitchcock movie, but then it didn't feel like a Hitchcock movie. But it was, you know, World War II, the boat that everybody was on got hit by a submarine. And then it was like this journalist who was covering the war, um, which she played, uh, was in a lifeboat. And they were taking on people. And so it was wartime. And then one of the people they took on was actually a German um because their submarine got hit. And so it was definitely playing with like, you know, us versus Germany, Nazis and uh, subterfuge. I mean, all in this little lifeboat. So this whole scene was like in this little lifeboat. It's interesting. You know, look it up. It's definitely worth a watch, but I would not like go out seeking to watch it. Ah, got it. Um, She won New York Film Critics Circle Award. And when she accepted her award, she says, darling, I was wonderful, which is basically what her character would say. So, again, she pretty much is her character. When she was in her mid-50s, I mean, mid-40s to 50s, is right after World War II, a lot on Broadway. And Broadway made her some money. Actually, it's where she made her fortune. Uh, She ended up, like, commanding 10% of the gross profits and was billed larger than any of the other actors uh, casted in plays that she was in. About then, 1950s, NBC hired her to host The Big Show, which she did for about two years. So she was the mistress of ceremonies, pretty much like a Johnny Carson-like, you know, like a variety, variety show. show with monologue mm-hmm. and um, written by Dorothy Parker, who I probably should know who that is, but I don't, and Dorothy sang Parker. songs oh. and was pretty popular, but she was competing with Jack Benny and the others in the 50s and just wasn't getting the audience that she needed. So they started rotating other people. She was first choice for the role of Amanda in the film 
glass menagerie oh, by yeah. Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. who was a good friend of hers. I was going to say, she seems like she would fit really well into Tennessee Williams' mm-hmm. world. Yes. Oh, didn't we say something about that? Like Blanche Dubois? Yes, oh, yeah. she did. She played, yeah, he wrote Blanche Dubois for her. Yeah. During this time, you know, she's mid-40s to 50s. She's never been easy to work with, but because of her, you know, drinking and mixing with pills and just the way that she is, she didn't like to prep for anything. They always thought that she was going to be difficult and not do what she needed to do to do the part. And most of the time they were wrong, actually. She with the des- she was on I Love Lucy once. They had like the celebrity next door phase <laughs> of, of their that. show. And it was supposed to I've be... Uh, Betty Davis, but Betty Davis like had some kind of injury or something. So Tallulah went in stead and she never showed up for rehearsal and she was, you know, drinking all the time and never, she never rehearsed actually. And so Lucy was very nervous about having her there on the show but she showed up and like knocked it out of the park and did such a great job. I feel it. like this should be like a cautionary tale to teenagers of like, you know, it's you can still you can do a great job even if you don't show up to rehearsal, but everybody's going to want to never work with you again. Right. Anyway. Right. It's a one-time deal because then they just can't rely on you cuz mm-hmm. you're you're too. Yes. You're right. That's true. She was privileged. She didn't care. She Mm -hmm. had money to fall back on. In 1953, she had a stage act in Vegas and was making $20,000 a week. Damn. And so she was, I mean, she was sought after. She was the life of the party. She could go in and draw a crowd and people knew, they knew what she delivered. She was vaudeville, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, from the very beginning, that's what she brought to the table is entertainment to the audience and she got paid for it when they first started this out they thought well this is going to be a flop but she ended up doing so well that she stayed in vegas for three years and commanded that much money a week for three years and while she was in vegas she began to attract passionate and highly loyal following of gay men And she employed them as helping with her because she couldn't do anything for herself. And she started affectionately calling them her caddies. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, she had, she's getting into her 50s, which, I mean, God, no. (laughs) She long struggled with her addiction and her condition was worsening now. And she was starting to drink dangerous cocktails of drugs to fall asleep. And because when you're getting towards your 50s, you fucking hurt. Mm. You know, regardless, you hurt. And if you don't, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) And she, her maid would have to tape her arms down to prevent her from consuming pills during her periods of, like, wakefulness. Oh, my God. Which I totally feel because I wake up in the middle of the night and if I am hurting... I will go take pills, but I'll be half asleep. And I've scared mm-hmm. myself a couple of times. And, y'all, I take ibuprofen. I can't take any of the strong stuff. Um, strong stuff makes me really ill. But I have, like, dangerously taken too much ibuprofen mm. simply because I forgot that I'd, and I'd wake up still hurting kind of stuff. So age. Aging uh. sucks. So I feel it. Anything stronger is scary. 
she started to like have serious accidents and several um, psychotic episodes from sleep deprivation. She also took like hypnotic or she says something like hypnotic drug abuse. I don't know what I don't hip- know what that I don't know what that means either. But apparently she was maybe hallucinating from not sleeping and then taking all the drugs. And she, you know, she always hated to be alone. And so she was struggling with loneliness and depression and drug addiction and alcoholism and still working her ass off. In 1956, she played the truth game with Tennessee Williams and she confessed, I am 54 years old and I always, I wish always, always for death. I'm always wanting death. Nothing else will do. Nothing else would do. I want more. So it was really catching up with her. We talked about Blanche Dubois in 19, the same year. I mean, all of this has happened like, like so quickly with her. She's still working. She's probably doing the drugs, probably doing the drinking just to keep up with how rigorous that she's been professionally, like her whole life. Tennessee Williams wrote, Blanche Dubois for her and the first two weeks of the show she played it campy and every she was appealing to the audience but like he hated it everybody hated it and that's what the critics wrote about and he I think he like may have even confronted her about it and she was like no I'll, I'll straighten up and so he's like, be honest for once. Right. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because that's what that role calls for. And so she said, OK, I'll, I'm going to make an effort and I will, you know, conquer the audience um, that had come there to see her specifically. And so uh, Tennessee Williams, like she gave a fantastic performance, like you would think that she would because, he, you know, of her character and that character, Tennessee Williams said. I am not ashamed to say that I shed tears almost all the way through and that when the play was finished, I rushed up to her and fell to my knees at her feet. The human drama, the play of a woman's greatest valor and an artist's truth, her own far superseded and even eclipsed to my eye the performance of my own play. Hmm. So she knocked it out of the park. But by that time, those First reviews already pretty much yeah. put a nail in the coffin to the play, and it closed a couple of weeks later. That sucks. It really does suck. But I wonder how long Damn. somebody with her temperament would have been able to hold up doing a performance like that. That's true. I don't think she could have. Yeah, I don't she's, think she could have done she's it. She's declining forever. pretty fast. Yeah, she'd have right to now. give it all every knot, and she didn't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She also um, won a Tony Award for her performance of a bizarre fifty-year-old mother. In a play called Midgey Purvis. That was 1961. But again, like y'all talking about physically demanding roles. uh, And she insisted on doing stunts herself, including (laughs) like sliding down staircase banisters. Oh, my God. Playing up to the uh, crowd. It was actually um, her last theatrical performance was The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, which was another Tennessee Williams play. And she suffered a severe burn on her right hand from a match exploding while she lit a cigarette. And it was aggravated by, you know, the importance of jewelry props in the play. Mm. So because of that injury, she took even heavier painkillers and it dried out her mouth. And then she became where readings were most unintelligible. Oh, no. 
Um, and she only made five performances of that last Tennessee, her last theater performance. But it did not stop her. She went on to uh, 1964, uh, a radio appearance, which was her last for the BBC. And you could hear it that she was like suffering audibly from breathing difficulties, from emphysema, from smoking all of her life. And also because she had she had that pneumonia early on her that caused her really deep voice that mm-hmm. she had. So her lungs weren't great to begin with. And then she smoked on top of that. She said, she's like, you know, I couldn't put a key in the door, darling. I can't mm. do anything for myself. And he basically said, you know, she was a very frail and ailing old lady. And he was shocked to see how old and ill she looked when she came in for the, uh, the interview he had to like help her out of the taxi and she was wearing her mink coat slung over a pair of pajamas and was leaning on his arm pretty heavily to support her he said that her hands shook and when she wished to go to the loo she had to ask somebody to help her which is so humbling right Mm -hmm. but again she's still working in 1965 Her last motion picture, which I haven't seen, which I kind of want us to watch, was a horror film that was called Fanatic. And it was released in the U.S., though, as Die, Die, My Darling, (laughs) which she absolutely hated because they were exploiting her famous catchphrase. And so she fussed, but they never did change it. And when she screened it uh, privately with her friends, she apologized for looking older than God's wet nurse. (laughs) And and it's because they wanted her to look old and like her, they actually dyed her hair gray. And the director was very, you know, used very claustrophobic close-ups to accentuate her age and frailty. It was a B-movie horror flick that she, that she called a piece of shit. But I imagine that it's, like, it's great because it immediately got cult uh, status with mm-hmm. her fans. And she was paid $50,000 for it, which is not, like, the millions she paid now. But that was, like, 1965. And she was older. She was an older woman. I'm not making excuses. She should have been paid more. Her last appearance on television was... In 1967, as the villainous Black Widow in Batman. No way! The woman had a work ethic. Nothing else. <laughs> she was boozy and like high as a kite, but she was going to work. And she also appeared on NBC's uh, Tonight Show doing a Beatles interview that aired in 1968. Huh, that's weird. Tallulah stayed in New York City until her death, and she died in St. Luke's Hospital in Manhattan in December 12th, or on December 12th, 1968, at the age of 66. The cause of death was pleural double pneumonia. Her pneumonia was complicated by emphysema due to cigarette smoking and malnutrition, but it may also have been exacerbated by the strain of flu that was endemic at the time. Uh, Her last coherent words reportedly were garbled requests for codeine and bourbon. Her estate. I hope she got it. 
Don't joke. Her estate was around $2 million at that time, which is the equivalent of like $14 million at our times. She is buried at St. Paul's Churchyard near Chester, Maryland, where her sister Eugenia lived. So Tallulah absolutely lived so full. I mean, 66 years we think is young, but like the life that she lived during that time was absolutely jam-packed. She's known for her witticism, such as, there is less to this than meets the eye, and (laughs) I am as pure as driven slush. (laughs) So she owned it, and I absolutely love her for owning it at that time. She was obviously an extrovert, uninhibited, outspoken, and often got naked at private parties. (laughs) She was that person. Which fits in like, oh my Uh God, Mardi Gras, (laughs) Tallulah Bankhead. She lived in the moment. Um, One thing that you may not know about her, but kind of fits in, she broke with many Southerners uh, and was a Democrat and supported civil rights and strongly opposed racism and segregation. And it is said that uh, Tallulah's support in the reelection of Harry S. Truman, that she's actually credited with helping him get into office by belittling his rival, <laughs> the then New York governor and Republican presidential candidate Thomas E. Dewey. And she did so during the during an inauguration parade, she booed the South Carolina float, which carried the then governor and segregationist <laughs> Strom Thurmond. Yeah. Uh, who had recently run against Truman on the Dixiecrat ticket and uh, which had split the Democratic vote by running on a racist pro uh, segregationist ticket that appealed to most Southern Democrats at the time. So that is the amazing fucking life of Tallulah Bankhead. Raise a glass. Raise a glass. Cheers. Tallulah. Tallulah. (laughs) Y'all will be right back. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. It's from the 80s. Yes. Yes. All right. From the 80s or early 90s. I decided to go with the Mardi Gras theme this time because I didn't have a to be continued to go with. So I, well, and partly this was, this started because um, my, my younger daughter was watching Princess and the Frog at school, which don't even get me started because I'll go off on a rant about the number of movies that my kids have watched in school this year. I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck y'all do? It was like, we, like, we were lucky. Like, it was like, we'd have to be at school on Christmas Eve before we got to watch Donald Duck does goddamn geometry. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
Like they used to roll that TV in on this cart and we would all be like, oh, the last, you know, the last, the last cart that I remember being rolled in like that was when the fucking like space shuttle exploded. Oh my god! And then I that know. was the last oh, part I that I, I never saw rolled in. They were like, <laughs> okay, they were like, no more live streams, <laughs> no, no more TV for y'all. Yes, the Challenger ruined a lot of things. But um, so you know. But anyway, one of the many many movies my child has watched at school this year is uh, Princess and the Frog. And they were, I, I don't know if they just randomly chose it or what, but it came up on Disney Plus as a, a Valentine's special thing, too, as like, oh, this is one of our favorite romantic movies that we've done. So okay. I was like, okay. And she <clears throat> has been in Science Olympiad, and she ended up missing part of Princess and the Frog at school. <laughs> so, Much better options. There. Yes. yes. So she was like, I really want to watch it because I don't remember it. You know, we have it on DVD because, you know, there used to be those. But... um she hadn't watched it in ages and there was a time period where each of my kids was scared of that movie so excuse Papa me Legba. well Papa that, and that's what we're gonna get into Papa Legba. because the character in uh princess and the frog the the villain is the shadow man i've mm-hmm. never watched princess and the frog have you not no. oh you should I it's know. good I know. Um, I just, it was when I didn't have kids when it no, came out I and know. it was past my Disney phase. It was past my Disney phase. Yeah, but um, it's so there's the villain is Facilier, who is the shadow man. And he is a, a tall, skinny man with a, a, a space between his front teeth. And he wears a top hat and purple tails. And, you know, he looks pretty suave, but he also looks like like a homeless suave man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, you know, definitely shifty. You know, he's got the whole angular persona that they'll put on a Disney villain, like the way right. they do with Cruella DeVille. Right. And um, but there's a there's a song that he does. I've got friends on the other side where um, they do this really super cool trippy thing, which is what scared my kids in the first place. But they go into, um, it's almost like a, a, uh, oh shit, there are art words for this, Patrice. Mm -hmm. But they, it's it's like, it's a weird contrast. They go into almost like negative space. And at one point it's as though you're watching a blacklight dance of all these like, you know, heads and you know totems and everything like that and then his face is superimposed with a skull face it's like he's got black light makeup on and they turn off the lights and there's this man in the skull face with the top hat and the tails Mm -hmm. and i was like that's from somebody and i can't remember who Mm -hmm. so you know we we watch the movie i go upstairs i start like you know instead of just googling during the course i googled during the movie um I was like, what is this based on? And the first name that comes up is Papa Legba. Mm-hmm. And so in voodoo, Papa Legba is the, the Loa, the god of the crossroads. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm finding as I do this this Google. Robert Johnson. Robert, he's Robert Johnson's crossroad devil, mm-hmm. you know? So he's the translator to the other gods in the spirit realm. But uh, so basically nobody can talk to the gods unless they go through Papa Legba. And... Um, the way that he's personified, though, is as an old man with a walking stick and a straw hat. He's got a limp, and he's got a limp because he always has one foot in the spirit world and one foot in ours. So it was it was like, okay, my mind's totally blank. 
y'all on this, but remember we talked about the top hat and the sunglasses with one lens mm-hmm. popped off so that you're like you're seeing in this world yep. and in the other world. Uh, yeah. And that is um not this guy. Okay. And that's the thing that Weird. threw me. Yeah. Because I was like, but so Papa Legba is this old man. He's followed by dogs. He's, you know, that's his whole shtick. Right. And I'm like, that's not the guy. You know? Right. I was like, so I, I kept on looking. And of course, immediately, I've also found all these references to American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that because in American Horror Story Coven, they have a Papa Legba character right. with a skull oh, face. Yeah. He looks great. And a top His hat, costume right? is great. fantastic. Um, yeah. His makeup is fantastic. Yes, he exactly. And you know, I look at it and I'm like, "This is Facilier. He's, this is this he's character." Scary. So I look further and I find um, another voodoo god called Baron Samdi. Okay. This is the god of the dead with glasses, with one lens mm-hmm. popped out, right. the top hat, the tails, smoking a cigar, mm-hmm. loves rum, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. face of a skull. So I'm like, this is our guy. This is the guy that I'm looking for. Right. So what American Horror Story did is they basically took Papa Legba and put him together with um, with Baron Samdi. Mm-hmm. And okay. so we, we got like a mashup character. Which, you know, if you look back to when that was brand new, you find all these, like, angry blogs <laughs> about how, fuck, how they sure. fucked it up. I'm sure. But, okay, so Baron Samdi loves rum, smokes a cigar. Um, he's raunchy. He's obscene. He's always <laughs> running around on his wife. He's married to um, another god. She's the goddess of the dead. They're the king and queen of death, basically, in voodoo. And she's called Maman Brigitte. He's always fucking around on her with human women. And so, um, so basically, and I was trying to remember too, where we had talked, it may have been in Robert Johnson that we talked about these. No, we've talked about more recently than Robert. Was it somebody else was because I I know I hadn't heard these stories that I'm going to tell you, but I thought we had talked about these. I talked about a voodoo museum. We'll have to look, but maybe you guys can tell us. Again, can you tell us what we talked about? Can you tell us what we talked about the other day? <laughs> so, Baron Samdi is the only one who can take people into the realm of the dead. Mm-hmm. But he can also heal people, and he can resurrect people, but he generally prefers not to. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, and you have to you have to really bargain with him if you want him to do that for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's said that he had, back in the 18, what, what would that have been? 1890s? Had a massive crush on Marie Laveau. Mm-hmm. And in the you're looking at me funny. Seventeen, no, not the seventeen hundreds. Marie Laveau, eighteen hundreds. Oh, I was eighteen forties, eighteen sixties. Okay, I was thinking of um. Anyway, go ahead. Who were you thinking of? Somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Madame La Laurie. That's not the seventeen hundreds though. She was a contemporary. I. Uh, Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we'll yeah, figure yeah. Out the dates. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to. Well, look it up while I tell this because I that's part of the story. I know because in American Horror Story they're contemporaries, but but it sounds like they might actually have been contemporaries. In, okay, okay. So it's said that Baron Samdi, the god of death, had a crush on uh, Marie Laveau and the voodoo queen Marie Laveau, which you know we've talked about. And I don't if you haven't listened to the show a lot, or you know you live under a rock, you might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But um, so she saw an opportunity in this that he had a crush on her. And eventually, in exchange for a promise of a night with her, 
she convinced him to tell her the secret of the voodoo trance to give he basically gave her the gift of resurrection Mm -hmm. he taught her how to make zombies Zombies. Zombies. it was my zombie episode. it was your zombie episode that's what it was yes and yeah god i was trash during that one (laughs) 1780s to 1840s are her dates la lurie or Mm -hmm. la lurie okay and then look up look up marie laveau okay because you're you might be about to uh mythbuster me on this one but i'll keep talking while you do it so um no, 1801, she was born. So okay, so they were age. contemporaries yeah. mm-hmm. to In, some yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one's older than the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he gave her the secret of immortality in this story. Um, and because of that, she became the only human who could cross over between the human realm and the spirit realm. But she could only do it on certain days. And one of those days is Mardi Gras. Um, so in looking all this stuff up though, I discovered another entity and it was another one of those, like, I feel like we might've talked about this somewhere before, (laughs) but, um, this is an entity that was connected to Baron Samdi and I found it really interesting. So there's a book called real zombies, the living dead and creatures of the apocalypse by Brad Steiger. Have you read that one? No. Okay. So he said that there are legends that say that uh, Baron Samdi, who is, again, the Loa of the dead, he's the Loa of sexuality, he, um, he's the father of a devil baby. And if you look up the devil baby of Bourbon Street or the devil baby of New Orleans, you'll get these stories. Um, so this, the story is that he lusted after, like I said, he's always cheating on his wife, right? Yeah. He's like Zeus's, you know, he's like Zeus. Um so he's always going after these girls and he lusts after this young Creole girl who's just beautiful. And one All Saints Day, she visits the cemetery to visit the grave of her dead mother and he pulls her into the shadows of the gravestone and rapes her. Oh, no. And um, eventually um, his wife, Mamang Brigitte, finds out that he's done this and that the girl is pregnant and turns the girl into a zombie before the child can be born. So the child is born kind of half human, half zombie or half devil or something, something else. Um, there's another origin story that says that um, that churchgoers at St. Anthony's saw a young mm. woman in the garden just before dawn on Mardi Gras. And as they came out on mass, <clears throat> sorry, from mass, they see her like staggering towards the steps of the, the back steps of the church with like a bloodied parcel in her hands. And then she puts it on the steps and falls dead. And um, this terrifying wail comes from the parcel. And it turns out there's this deformed baby in the parcel. And some say that this baby is kept by a priest at the Grand Cathedral, but that the baby would escape from the priest and just run havoc in the streets. And um, he would just attack people left and right, this demon baby. And then he would like skip across the tops of the pews to get out of the church. Um, <clears throat> but there's a there was a good origin story that I found that I liked too. And this was uh, by someone named Aline Pustanio. And I'll put a link on the show page. But um, this is a good telling that is kind of different from the others. So it looks like it's part of a haunted tour, like a a ghost tour thing. But it's not shitty like some of those are. So this version puts the devil baby together with some of these other characters from New Orleans lore that we've heard of so often before. So in this version, there's a Creole family in New Orleans. And they have a daughter named Cecile. uh, No, Camille. Not Cecile. Camille. So she's gorgeous. All these men want to marry her, but she 
is ashamed of the idea of marrying a Creole man. Like she sees all these, you know, white, totally Americanized people who are living these lives of luxury and Mm -hmm. like upward mobility and old money and all this stuff. And she's like, I want that. And so she turns down all of these Creole suitors and she keeps on waiting for somebody who can fulfill this dream of her becoming, you know, you know, a kept woman, a kept woman. Well, no, she wants to be like legit, you know, she wants to, you know, marry into a, be a in white society. Americanized family. Yeah. She wants to be top of Soci- society. Yeah, so social. <clears throat> she wants to be respected and wealthy. So she starts, she gets herself kind of into circle. You know, she's, she's a pleasant person and she's beautiful. It's not hard. She starts visiting in circles where she felt she can kind of get some of that upward mobility. And, um, in the course of time, she's introduced to, um, a Scotsman who's staying with a family that she knows. He's moved to new Orleans from New York. And, um, you know, he's just kind of trying to settle down and he is old money. And he's got good connections. This family that he's staying with is one of those wealthy, you know, socially upward, mobile, you know, families. Handsome guy, dark, handsome, mysterious, all that shit. Um, His name is Mackenzie Bowes. And Camille's like, you're my guy. Like, (laughs) sights set, ready to go. So, and he reciprocates. You know, he... He before long, there's romance, there's, you know, talk of them getting together. And the only people that don't like this notion, you know, her family's all in on it. He's excited. His host family's excited. But the Creole guys that she passed over to get this guy are a little pissed. You know, a lot of them just kind of move on with their life. But there's this one guy named Etienne Matthew, who is just angry to the point of obsession and he's watching all this stuff happen and he's just he can't take it anymore and one day he ends up on the doorstep of none other than Marie Laveau yeah and he goes to her and says i want camille back and she looks at him and she's like that's not going to happen mm-hmm. and he's like okay then i want her dead <laughs> and she laughs at mm-hmm. him and she's like i mean that's i'm i'm capable but I don't think you know what you're bringing upon yourself if you do that. And he's like, okay, fine. Let's, let's go in between then. Just, I want her to suffer. I want her to suffer like I suffered and I want her to be humiliated. And she's like, you know what? Fuck you. She's like, but she's like, fine. So be it. Yeah. You're going to regret doing it. It's going to come right back on your head threefold. But you know, I I'll tell you what I need to do this curse and you bring it to me and I will do the charm. Fine. So, She says, if I do this, the Scotsman will be ruined and the woman will suffer. So he brings her all the things. She does the charm. Well, the wedding goes forward and she tells she tells Etienne, like, this is not like a snap and it's done. She's like, You're, this is going to be something you have to wait for. So don't bother me again. Mm-hmm. And the wedding goes forward. And by the time the Scotsman and Camille, Mackenzie and Camille come back from the honeymoon, she's already pregnant. And she's over the moon because while they were away, she's like researching his family and learning more. And she finds out that her husband was a lord back in Scotland at a place called Strathmore. And she's thinking, oh, my God, you know, not only am I going to be like upwardly mobile and like wealthy and spectacular. Yes, I'm titled. I'm going to be a lady. This is spectacular. So, you know, she looks more and she finds this article about the Earls of Strathmore being cursed. And... 
there's like some nonsense about the dark arts and there's even something in there about at the Strathmore castle that the devil was shut into the castle there. Mm. And, um, she doesn't believe it, but it does stick in her brain. And her husband soon has started to have like, um, nightmares, like night terrors. And so, you know, this kind of keeps coming back up into her head. She asks <clears throat> what they're about because he wakes up yelling her name in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep, but he can never tell her what he's dreamed or he won't tell her what he's dreamed. So um, one day she tells her mother, Adelaide, that her husband is having this problem and her mother looks really disturbed and she asks why. And her mother said, I've been having the same problem she's like i've been having really disturbing upsetting dreams and um the nightmares are really vivid and i can't go back to sleep when i when i wake from them so it's because of these two things together that adelaide then calls on marie Laveau too um she sends a message by a servant and within 30 minutes Laveau is on her doorstep as if she's just been waiting for this call for you know months which she probably has and um so Camille's mother, Adelaide, tells Marie all about what's going on. And Marie Laveau tells Adelaide that the baby is in grave danger and that when Camille goes into labor, she has to call Marie Laveau only. <coughs> no one else can midwife this birth. It is only me. Call for me. And she agrees. And so um, and she also says this problem is not with your daughter. It's with her husband. Like. So <clears throat> not long after Camille does go into labor and um, Adelaide immediately sends a carriage to get Marie Laveau, brings her back. The labor is very, very long and very hard. And Marie stays with Camille the entire time. She wipes her forehead. She sings to her. She holds her hand. She like, you know, coaches her. And Mackenzie, the, the Scotsman, the husband, keeps on trying to barge into the room and gets like more and more anxious and perturbed and weird outside and every time he makes his way into the room marie laveau just expertly pushes him back and is like sorry <laughs> later right and the more he gets pushed out the more nervous he becomes and he starts to get unhinged as like the labor goes on and eventually just like out of nowhere just basically starts screaming and runs off into the woods oh and um so Camille, meanwhile, um, is having such a hard time with the labor that she goes unconscious. And just after the baby is born, she dies. Mm. So the child survives. And Marie wraps it in a blanket and covers it up and brings it out to the family and tells them what has happened, tells them Camille didn't make it, and says, now, this is not an ordinary baby. And, you know that there's a curse involved here and you need to just be ready as I give you this child. So she moves the blanket aside and the family just goes dead silent on its little head. There's like two little lumps like on either side, oh, like yeah, like <clears throat> buds of horns on its head. Um, it like reaches a hand out to grab the side of the blanket and its hands are like possum hands, like raccoon hands instead ah! of human hands. And um, it's kind of appears to be it's very, very pale and it looks kind of scaly and its eyes are shining and strange. And um, Camille's father just looks at Marie Laveau and says, this is the Scotsman's curse. This is not our problem. And 
you know, Marie asks if she should then, should I give it to its father then? And they said, he's, he came back, he, he was found ranting and foaming at the mouth in the woods. Like he's done for, right. like this dude is, is fucked. He's, he's crazy. And you know, you take it, take the baby. This is yours now. And so Marie Laveau leaves with the child. I don't know child. how I feel about Marie Laveau, though, putting this curse on this person. Well, and that's what I keep on coming like... back, because she says a couple things later on, too. And I'm just like, but you're the one that did you it, too. Did I mean, you agreed to do it, but it was other people. I my think part interpret- of it, she's standing on it. This is other people's choices. You right. know, this is my vocation. Other right. people did I it. I know, but you know? I always wanted her to be like, only for the yeah, those I know. who deserve it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, nobody's that uncomplicated, I guess. I know they're not. So on her way back towards... <laughs> Angela Bassett. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on her, way, on her way out, she's walking on the streets and she sees a figure in the shadows that kind of like kind of lurches out of the shadows. And she, she recognizes it after a couple of minutes as Etienne Matthew, the man who came to, mm-hmm. to make her do this, to ask her to do this. And she shows him the baby and she's like, there, you got what you wanted. You know, this is your revenge. But he does regret it because his his body is completely bent. He's completely deformed himself. Like something has happened in the last nine months and he is unrecognizable. Like his entire face is contorted. People won't look at him. You know, he can't be with anybody. And he tries to speak to her, but she basically says, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. You're gross. <laughs> like, right. I can't look at Keep you. Keep your cooties to yourself. Bye. <laughs> and so now at this point in this story, in this telling of the story, she makes her way not to her own house, but to the house of, of Delphine LaLaurie. Oh. oh. I know. And I was like, all of these people are wound up in this? So Madame LaLaurie says that she will be the child's godmother. And mm. she and Marie Laveau in this story both take turns caring for the devil child as it goes through its infancy. And when the fire burns down the Lollerie mansion, some people say that Madame escapes and takes the devil baby with her oh. and escapes on a schooner to France with the baby. Others say that he's passed to Marie and Marie cares for him from that point forward. And if you're a loyal listener of the show... And if you pay more attention than I do, because I had to search to figure out where I had heard some of this before, this might sound familiar because the devil baby is just glancingly talked about in the episode. It's like episode 54, the balls of the South episode. Where oh I tell God. the story of the grunge and it's the episode where you did your pandemic story. I know it was in my bedroom. I remember that was exactly. the one in your that bedroom after surgery. Mm-hmm. Yes. The only time we have gone outside besides our lives. Exactly. When I was on my back in episode 54, the ball story. it was the grunge <laughs> because there was, there was the craziest like origin of the Grunch story was that Marie Laveau had castrated the devil baby when it was born and its testicles turned into a male and female Grunch. That was how that whole story came about. The balls of the South came from that. And this was the devil baby that Patrice it was talking about. Her face. <laughs> I'm trying to put everything together in my brain right is now. Is that not crazy? It is crazy. It, it's kind of like, okay, everybody like that had their own little stories. Uh-huh. They got together in rooms. Like, how can we 
connect everybody so that we can have a tour New Orleans. Exactly. That it goes from here to here to here <laughs> to here. And then it's like we're all in it. Exactly. Everybody but also just the has way a oral cameo. history works in general because you just add a little here or there. Oh, and well, because mis- it's really you funny. You misremember and then it you is. add your own thing. You, it's and convenient for you to say yeah, something. Like, well, house- and it's, it's weird because at some point, even historical figures are no different than like Greek gods. Mm-hmm. You right. know, I mean, like it, it, the, the actual fact of it doesn't really matter oh, yeah. anymore. And you create all kinds Just of different legend. stories that contradict mm-hmm. and that live in different universes from one another. Bunyan, you know, this is like George the metaverse Washington. of yeah. New Orleans, right? Where we just, oh, yes, in this universe, everyone Wait, lives together. How every day in a happens house. on social media, too. yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like so. So this, it was the, uh, you know, if, if it's true that Marie Laveau kept the baby and that she raised it and everybody in the French quarter could hear it cry like demon cries in the middle of the night, every night through its infancy, rumors kind of start to develop about what is, what is happening. And again, from this book, real zombies, the living dead, the creatures of the apocalypse, there's a, (laughs) this is a long quote, but it was good. This is what the devil baby was like. In, in the collective imagination. The devil baby, quote, is said to be able to climb like a squirrel, swim like a fish, and run faster than a greyhound. Some say he is less than three feet high, about the size of a four-year-old child. He's bald-headed with pointed ears and has the arms and hands of a raccoon, so that stays the same. Okay, stop. <laughs> so let's take this Draw into it, the round <laughs> now of our... Uh, goblins. Mm. So not okay. too different. Continue. Not too well. And here's what's interesting too. There is an interesting theory that there was a deformed baby that was born in the French Quarter that Marie Laveau, as a saint, mm-hmm. which is part of the persona of Marie Laveau right. in history, right. exactly took in because she did care for people who were orphaned. She actually, yes. you know, that was part That's of her true. thing. She's mm-hmm. a real person that really lived. Yes, a real living oh, historical she's a healer. person. She was, she was a exactly. woman. And yeah. so there is a theory that there was a deformed baby with a skin condition mm-hmm. born in the French Quarter to a family that didn't want it. And Marie Laveau took it in. And there are also theories that Delphine Lalaurie's husband, who was a surgeon, you know, there there were really horrible improprieties that went on in that house one way or another. Mm-hmm. Improprieties is a pretty no, is a no. pretty a crappy way to describe atrocities. atrocities. <laughs> right. So yeah, we'll we'll fix that. But um but that he was a surgeon mm-hmm. and that it's possible that Marie brought the baby to be treated to Delphine LaLaurie's husband mm. and that it had like a, a skin condition that caused it to look demonish to people who had never seen anything like that before so that's that's also a possibility right here. if yeah. you want to if you want to dig marie laveau out of the gutter a little bit here um but anyway so this I is do. what the devil baby was supposed to have looked like in the this is the you know split hooves for feet and a long rat-like hairy tail that's <laughs> that's a departure yeah. <laughs> so um the but the rumors that started are that this is you know because 
the reason why somebody would have to adopt a baby that has a deformity like this is because people are terrified of difference, right? And people would start saying, well, it drinks blood, it eats human organs, it has superhuman strength. These are all things people say about this, like this thing. Some people say that it would wander the streets appearing like an innocent child, but then when a stranger would reach down to help it, it would transform into its hideous self and try to murder them and eat them. Which all I could think of was the Galaxy Quest aliens. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, that there is a story that the devil da- that the devil baby did the bidding of Delphine LaLaurie mm-hmm. and and kidnapped homeless people off the streets to take to, her to murder the dungeon of the LaLaurie mansion. Um, there are several stories that tell different versions of the death of the devil baby. Um one say says that it was um, captured and poisoned by like a cabal of priests and that it was taken to St. Louis Cathedral and had nails driven through its eyes and its hands and its feet. And um, then they took it out and buried it in a pit in Slidell. And they say that its blood was purple and that you can still see the stain of purple blood near the altar at the Cathedral of um, St. Louis. And then uh, there's another one where there was an angry mob that got tired of the demon baby attacking people in the streets at night and and cornered it. And it climbed up the spire of St. Louis Cathedral. I don't know if it's St. Louis, but anyway. Louis. To escape and climbed up all the way to the top of the spire and was struck dead by lightning. Mm. Then there's another one where a nun beat it to death with an umbrella. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> What a way to go, man. <laughs> and uh, and there is another version where Marie Laveau strangles the devil baby because it will not stop biting her and her children. But then the whole family wears black and buries it in a Christian burial at a cemetery, at St. Louis Cemetery. So many stories. I know. Stories. So, and then there are other people who say that it escaped all attempts mm. to kill it. And still lives on Bourbon Street to this day. And in the zombie book, it says he only attacks from dusk to dawn. And many say that holy water boils on its own when he's near. Crosses fall off the wall. A rosary will break in your hands if you try to hold it out to to ward him off. And um, it says some some legends say that he has the power to see the future. So if he still wanders the streets, it says on Mardi Gras, he takes on the guise of a normal man. So if you find him on Mardi Gras and you guess his true identity, you can ask him any question and he'll answer it with the whole truth. And at midnight, he then magically turns back into his original form. And then they also said that if you if you find urine, excrement or vomit from the devil baby on or near your front doorstep in the New Orleans French Quarter, it is not a good sign. And I was like, well, that's uh, like that's just normal. never a good. The sign. odds are high, though. I know <laughs> like, that's like, gonna happen. That's Bourbon Street. But they say that you can. They say that his feces can be dried to make zombie powder. If you're interested in that kind of thing, oh, um, pass. And then there are other people who say that they dream of the devil baby. And there are certain like portenses according to the Necronic. I always get this one wrong. Necronomicon fandom. Um, that if you dream of the devil baby, it's probably bad luck. That if you dream you're holding it, it means there's trouble at your door. If you dream of kissing it on the face, it means your lover is cheating on you. Mm. Oh, specifically with someone of the same sex. That's very specific. Interesting. To dream of giving birth to the devil baby means that you will soon have a hysterectomy. Also very specific. <laughs> and to dream of the devil baby being your child then you're going to die. 
that's that's i guess that's the end of my story i didn't have an outro <laughs> wow. or anything and then you're gonna die See ya. <laughs> thanks for listening so that that's the the long and varied tale of the devil baby of new orleans wow. yes and it's funny because you see all these like artist renderings of the devil baby and you know what it looks like it mm-hmm. looks like every single 3d sonogram i've ever seen like 3d ultrasounds <laughs> it looks like just like a baby with like lumpy skin the way those 3d ultrasounds they all look like that yeah right? they're scary that's what they I all look like, like it's just like you know what babies aren't cute i just think <laughs> maybe that's the secret to this whole thing this woman had an ugly baby exactly and everybody was, just, was like oh everybody was like demon mm-hmm. <laughs> poor ugly baby poor <laughs> ugly baby thank y'all so much for listening we thank appreciate you bye. bye we'll talk to you later bye Happy Mardi Gras, y'all! Happy Mardi Gras!